This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly, written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. This week, I sit down with Christina Custodio to discuss her son Isaiah's near-death experience at age 13 and why she named her book When God Changed His Mind. Christina said the experience changed the trajectory of her life. It became the launch pad for her ministry, which is leading others to find joy, faith, and hope regardless of their circumstances. As we begin today's episode, I want to invite you to join the Grace Enough community. You will instantly receive 10 free scripture prayers, and each month you'll receive episode highlights, resource recommendations, and the opportunity to recommend future guests, offer feedback, and simply interact more easily. So make it happen by visiting graceenoughpodcast.com or click the link in your podcast player's show notes. Good morning, Christina, and welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. Good morning, Amber. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I am so much looking forward to you sharing your story with us. And so as we jump in this morning, go ahead, tell everyone a little about yourself, a little about your family and what you do on a day-to-day basis. Okay. Well, I am a wife to Ozzy and we've been married 23 years. We have three kids, Abriana, Isaiah, and Olivia, and they're all pretty much grown. The oldest is about to turn 21 and the youngest is about to turn 17. So we're looking at an empty nest soon. Really oh exciting. gosh. Yes. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, and I work at a high school with kids who have failed one or more classes and work with them to get their credit back. And it's such a ministry. It's amazing. And I love that age group. I also am a photographer and if I feel like it, make jewelry, there's all kinds of things. It's, it's a little ADHD, but it's the way God made me. So it's all good. (laughs) That's right. Well, and now you're an author. Oh yes. There's that. I'm an author. That's right. And we're going to talk a little bit about your book today and just your story. And so share a little bit of your faith journey with us. Like, when did you begin walking with Jesus? What has that process kind of looked like for you? Well, I grew up in the church, so I've always known Jesus, but my parents' version of Jesus, I would say, and who God is. And it was probably not until I was about 30 when we were in, we moved to South Carolina from Ohio, when I started to understand God's grace. Mm. And that kind of changed things because I realized that I didn't have to worry all the time about not getting all the boxes checked. All I had to do was the best that I could do. And Jesus dying on the cross would cover everything else. So that was kind of life-changing around that time. And when things happened with my son, that was another level of faith that he took me through. You know, you'd think, oh, I've got it. I know about God. Nope. Right. <laughs> no. 
as we, soon as I, you think you know, you realize you don't know. <laughs> right. There's so much. And I just, I know to the day I die, I'm just, you know, probably mm-hmm. every day I go, oh my goodness, I didn't see you there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, so tell me on September 5th, oh no, September 8th, 2015, mm-hmm. your family's life changed forever. Yes. Take us back to that day. Share a little of that story with us and what happened. Well, it was a regular day in the fall and I dropped my son Isaiah off at football practice, like usual is evening and went to the grocery store. How old was he at this point? He was 13. Okay. He was 13. He was playing for the first time on the D team, which is, you know, the first level of high school, basically. And I got home, got groceries in the house and got a phone call from the football trainer telling me that I needed to pick him up because he had a really bad headache and he just didn't need to play that day. And they were just running plays because they had a game the next day and there was no hitting, Mm. but they said he needed to go home. So I got to the school and when I got there, I saw him on the grass and the, a coach and a trainer picked him up and he wasn't really walking on his own. He, they were almost dragging him, but they were on either side of him. And I just thought, oh my goodness, this kid is so dramatic. Like he's got a headache, really. He needs help walking, you know? And I got, they brought him closer to me and he just wasn't, he was incoherent. He was, and I was mm-hmm. talking to him and he was saying one word at a time. He was saying home, home. Mm. and hurt he just was saying these words and then finally he said help and that one scared me and he was throwing up and it was just very odd it wasn't typical of just a headache so they helped me get him in the car and I decided to take him to the emergency room and just figure out what was going on and I wasn't super scared I just was concerned like Mm -hmm. let's figure this out so long story short in the emergency room we find out after a CT scan that he had severe bleeding in his brain. And the scary thing about that was that when he was a baby, from the time he was a baby, I always felt like he was going to die young. So I don't know why there, there was no reason for me to feel that, but that's just this feeling that I had. And so I thought, this is it. My, his brain is filling up with blood. He was dying. And I thought, God, please, <laughs> he's 13. Yeah. So, but I just felt like I knew this was, this was going to be it. And so he ended up having emergency brain surgery. And the doctor told me several different ways that he could die because he didn't believe he was going to live. Mm-hmm. It just, the pictures looked bad. And he, I think he felt like he either wouldn't live or, he could be in a vegetative state. Yeah. So we were looking at that. Did they know at that point, like, did they have any idea of why it had started bleeding? Any explanation at all? They didn't. They just, they didn't have any idea. Um, they may, they might've thought, I can't really remember maybe that it had been an aneurysm or stroke. I don't think they knew really. And, you know, with football, you don't know. <laughs> right. Well, it's they interesting didn't. though, because you had said they hadn't been hitting. Right. But 
we didn't necessarily know that until later. Okay. Right. So it wasn't necessarily like now you can look back and be like, mm-hmm. no, I mean, it was a walkthrough mm-hmm. for a game. Right. right. They weren't kidding. And they couldn't see it because there was so much blood. Wow. Filling. So they couldn't see where it was coming from. They didn't know if it was actively bleeding, you know, but it was, it was pretty full. Of so blood. they go in and they do the surgery and how many days is it before he's really in a stable place where you feel like, okay, he's actually going, it's looking like he's going to survive. It was probably a couple days in. I still was kind of like, uh, anything could happen. I just, I kept my eyes on him. I didn't really sleep. My husband and I were in the IC, ICU room with him sleeping on one of those tiny little chair bed things, both of us. Yeah. <laughs> my husband is six foot five over, you know, it's a big guy. Yeah. Six foot five, he's six foot three. Um, but either way, that's yeah, big guy. He's not a short person. <laughs> yes, we did not really sleep because we just we didn't know because that's yeah. the brain, you know. We didn't know if it would start bleeding again or what. But when he woke up, he could not talk or walk or do anything. And one of the things that bothered me was that he couldn't smile. We could tell that he knew us mm. because you know he we could ask him questions and he might nod a little bit or shake. So we could tell he knew us, but other than that, we didn't know what his state would be his state of mind. Mm-hmm. We just watched and prayed and hoped that it would be okay. But one of the things that bothered me was that he couldn't smile. Yeah. I mean, because we do, we, that's something that you don't think about all the time, but that right. is so much about human connection. Yes. Is looking yes. in someone's eyes and seeing their response to you, which typically if it's someone you love, it's a grin, yes. it's a smile, it's yes. a laugh. Yes. Wow. That was hard. That was one of the hardest things, which is you wouldn't think, but looking at him because he was a joyful kid. Mm-hmm. So not getting to see that smile was kind of difficult, but over the days he got better and better and better. And that was nothing but God, because they would say, He'll probably take a couple steps forward, then he'll take a step back and a couple steps forward and a couple steps back. But he never took steps back. Wow. He had so wow. many people praying over him. Thousands of people. In fact, we had a friend who is a news anchor at a, our local station and he put a message out and it was shared thousands of times. We could not believe it. So I know the power of prayer and the people that were there with us and and talking about the people who were there, it was our church family, just 30 plus people in that waiting room while his head was being cut open and just the support that we had and the prayers sustained us. And there was a point when I left the waiting room and I went into the bathroom. I just kind of needed a break from hosting. You know, sometimes we feel like yes. got to comfort everybody else. And I prayed because I wanted to pray because that's what you do in those situations. But I didn't know what to pray for because I felt like God had told me he was going to die. All I could think of to say, all I could pull out of me was God, change your mind. And I said, God, change your mind, change your mind. Just said it over and over and over again. I said, I can't, I don't know if I can do this. You just change your mind. Those are my only words. You end up in the hospital for 44 days. Yes. And I can only imagine because, um, 
when my dad was in a traumatic car accident and we weren't sure if we, he was going to pass away, it was two weeks that he was in an induced coma. And I know mm-hmm. like that feeling of how your faith is challenged mm-hmm. and you mean, you're just praying constantly really. Right. And so right. how did your faith change in that 44 days? And, you know, it's, your book is called when God changed his mind. And so mm-hmm you know, flesh that out for a little bit, a little bit for us that all the emotions, all the things that you're thinking and feeling as you watch your son kind of come out and begin to slowly make progress. Right. I mean, really it started, you know, the night that it happened and I, that's when I asked God to change his mind and then not knowing if that's what he was going to do or not. And, but having complete peace that I had never experienced before like that when faced with the the possible death of a child, I never thought I would have that, but God gave me peace. I knew that we were going to be okay, regardless of what he chose to do. If he was going to take him, if he was going to let us keep him, I knew we'd be okay. So that was something that, you know, I said I had faith. I thought I had faith, but it wasn't, I think until that moment that I knew that I did because I, trusted him. I trusted that whatever he chose to do, it was going to be okay. So as he came out of surgery and was, you know, okay for that moment or that time, I still didn't know. I didn't know because you hear about that all the time. You Mm -hmm. know, somebody gets through surgery and then they end up, something happens and they end up dying. So I didn't know for a while what God was going to choose to do still. So I just kept holding on to the fact that it didn't matter what God chose to do, that we would be okay. If Isaiah could never speak again, if he could never walk again, God was going to guide us through that. Mm-hmm. And every day it showed improvement. So I was so grateful for that. But again, I still didn't know what our lives would look like. I didn't know if Isaiah, if we would have to take care of him for the rest of our lives or I didn't know. So I just, each day that something great happened or that he made progress, I just praised God and hoped and prayed that there would be another day where it was like that, where he would just keep improving. And he did. And I was so grateful for that, but I, you know, you still just don't know. And so I just had to continue through those 44 days, trusting that whatever step we were on, that God was going to be there and he was going to help us through. And he did. And it didn't matter. Like I had to get my head in that place where in my heart that it didn't matter where God chose to take us because he was going to be there Mm -hmm. and he would allow us to get through. And I had to go back to that night when I talked to him and asked him to change his mind. And he did and know that every day he was going to be with us just like that. And I could have that same peace if I just remembered. (laughs) Right. Have you heard of the Dwell Bible app? It is inspired by the psalmist who encourages us in Psalm 119 to hide God's word in our hearts. And I found one of the best ways to do that is by listening to God's word on the Dwell Bible app. One of the coolest things about Dwell is their new read-along experience. If you've ever seen Apple Music or Amazon Music's lyrics feature, then that's exactly what you can expect from the read-along at Dwell. 
big, bold text accompanied with beautiful backgrounds that scrolls as the narrator reads to you. I love Dwell's variety from translation choices to daily Bible reading plans to scripture playlists that speak into your mood or current life situation. My favorite thing about Dwell is being able to search a specific word or topic that I want to dig into and then immediately listening to those scriptures. It's easy to use and enhances my time spent in God's Word. Today, we're offering a discount. Go to dwellapp.io slash graceenough to get 10% off a yearly subscription or 30% off Dwell for Life. That's dwellapp.io slash graceenough or see the link in our show notes. Start committing to scripture for the rest of this year or for life with the Dwell Bible app. This episode is brought to you by the Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on the Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. Well, so tell me, by the time that he went home, 44 days in, was he talking again? Was he walking again? Like, where was he by the time you all were discharged? He was talking and not always in full, complete sentences, but he, he was. There was a time when he, they had him on medication. He had anti-seizure meds and different things. And there was a point I was feeling like maybe he shouldn't take the meds. I, I guess it was a God feeling. And about that same day, I was out talking to a doctor or a therapist or something. And a nurse, I walked in the room and a nurse had been bringing him his meds. And she said, he won't take it. And he had been taking whatever they give him, they, he would take. And she said, he won't take it. What do I, you know, can you help? I said, then don't give it to him. It was the anti-seizure meds. And he couldn't, at that point, he couldn't talk, but he would not take it. And it was so strange. And I felt like God had just told me he doesn't need it, but I wasn't, I didn't know I'm not a doctor. So I felt like that was a God thing Mm -hmm. and he didn't take it anymore. And about 24 hours later, he started talking. Interesting. He actually started talking. So he just better and better every day. He would say more words every day. He was starting to read. He had to learn how to write again with his left hand because he was right-handed. Just all the things started getting better and walking and moving. And his right side was still weak, kind of like someone with a stroke. Right. He couldn't do that. But um, 
every day better and better. So my idea of how he was going to heal was that God was going to restore everything. I believed he was going to walk out of that hospital just like normal and walk out onto the football field and play. But that's not what happened. He he was able to walk. He still needed a wheelchair, but he could walk short distances and he could communicate with us and everything, but he still was weak on that right side and he still is today. Yeah. I was a little disappointed by that, but then I realized that God had healed him to perfection the way that he wanted him to be healed and the way that he would have the most impact Wow! because I think if he had been healed completely, got everything back, then I don't know if it, if the story, if his story would be so impactful because he is still pushing through and it has so much joy, even though he has those struggles and he's, and he did right. Always. Yeah. Times. I mean, he had times of why did this happen? But Absolutely. Yes. But at the same time, he was able to find joy and he just would push harder to walk or talk or do whatever it was that he needed to do. Well, and that was going to be one of my questions. Like, how is Isaiah today? So if I were to meet him, um, what would I be like? Okay. I notice that he's weak here, but he's made so much progress over here. You would first see that he has a giant, gorgeous scar on his head. So you would probably wonder what happened. But um, so he wears a leg brace and he walks with the limp. But if you're just standing talking to him, you wouldn't necessarily notice. And his hand and his arm kind of sometimes just hang there, but he'll pick them up with his left hand. And um, I don't know. Not everybody notices right away. But if he walks, you can you can tell. And he's just the most charming kid. He's a good looking kid. And you just notice his smile and his warmth. And I think that overpowers any of his weaknesses, you know, and it's, that's the testimony. (laughs) Absolutely. And just how much our setbacks don't have to define us, right? Right. Like they're a part of our story, but they don't have to be what defines our future. It's just part of who we are. That's right. And he does not let anything hold him back, which stresses me out quite a bit. (laughs) It stresses me out because he believes he can do anything. Now there are certain things he knows that are things that are dangerous, like swimming. We've got to figure that out because he can't use both arms. So things like that, but he drives, he drives with his left hand and his left foot, which is something I just, I really didn't want him to do. But he was so determined that he was going to be like everyone else that he said, I'm doing this, you know, and he increases our faith, just his attitude and his belief that he can do anything. Wow. It's a testimony for us, for my husband and I as his parents. And so a lot of things we just have to trust, just like God took care of him that night, that God's going to continue to take care of him. You know, yeah. during these times, he's wanting to go to Kenya in the summer yeah. to work at yeah. a camp. And I think for the first time, I'm just, I've got some more peace about that because I just, God must be calling him. So I need to trust. Right. And well, just- and isn't that a testimony of what God asks us to do to just let go? Yes. Yet there's this 
we're charged as parents to care for and teach our kids independence. But then when it mm -hmm. comes to independence, <laughs> it's really, really hard to actually let so them hard. do it. <laughs> yes, it's so hard. So hard. But when my kids were born, each of them, I really talked to God because I mean, having a child is just having your heart just in your hands and mm -hmm. it's so difficult. So when each of them were born, I just, I committed them to the Lord and just said, I know that they're on loan. I know that mm -hmm. this time is temporary. And I feel like that was God's grace because just putting that, I think he put that in me, yeah. you know, so that I could let go because he knew that this was going to happen. And so right. just knowing that we don't necessarily get to keep them. And that's a hard thought. Sometimes we don't get to keep them because they leave. Sometimes it's death, but it's all a part of a bigger picture. And that's the hardest part because we can't see it, but right. we've got to trust God that he knows the best story for our lives that will be for our good and his glory, but mostly his glory. Yeah. And that's yeah. for everyone. It's not always about us. That's right. Well, and I think too, remembering that trust isn't void of questions that's right. or struggle. Right. And you we're know? not bad Christians. That's right. When right. we ask him why, or, you know, can you pass this to someone else? I mean, Jesus. True story. <laughs> right. He asked God to take it away from him. And obviously that was not the best plan for mankind. Yeah. If we could think of it like that. And I've tried to think of things like that. Well, God did that for us. He gave his only son for these nasty, disgusting brat of, you know, human brats. And so if he could do that, then we could do what he asks us to do Yeah, with our own children, with our own lives, whatever it is, and just trust that it's for the greater good. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, being a constant caregiver, I mean, it's emotionally exhausting. It's physically exhausting, mm -hmm. mentally, spiritually, it's all the things. And so how would you encourage someone who's in that role right now as someone who has been a caregiver to a greater degree than what you are right now, mm -hmm. but still probably play some role in caregiving, maybe a little more than you thought you would at this mm. point? Well, actually right now he is, he's a sophomore in college and he's, oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah. He's away and he's amazing. And I don't have to look and see all the things that he needs help with, but you know, we had for, he was just in eighth grade. So we probably had a good year of really, I had to really do a lot for him and guide him. But I think the main thing is to just see beyond what's in front of us and know that God is still there and just trust that each of the things try and learn whatever God is can teach us through our caregiving. And a lot of times it's, we get to see the character of God and how we take care of our children or whoever it is that we love. And it can be so frustrating and you know, why do I have to do this? Why is this happening? This is not how I saw my life, but just getting in that place with God where we completely trust him because it doesn't, it's not fair. It doesn't always make yeah. sense and it's hard, Yeah. but we just, we just have to take our hearts and minds to another place that is 
in the care of our creator and just do all the things. And we can't always just do what we've got to do. And we can't always think too hard about it because when we, when we sit and we fret and we fuss and complain, it it doesn't help and it makes us tired and we just have to trust him and the next step and ask for help. Right. I think a lot of moms, we just think I got it. I got it. I can do it. No, God didn't make us with superpowers. I mean, we're pretty amazing, but right. (laughs) But we need community and we need need community and ask. And that is hard. It was really hard for me to ask for help. It was really hard for me to have people bring meals every day, which I was so grateful for. But at the same time, it's hard to get help, but it's a blessing for others to be able to help. Absolutely. It makes people most of the time feel like they can be a part because most of, I mean, most people actually really do want to help in some way and they can bring a meal. Right. Or just listen and also not pretending that everything's okay. Mm -hmm. Holding all of that stuff inside and just being authentic and say, this is really hard or you know, cry. We don't have, nobody expects us to just be fine all of the time. Yeah. And that's part of the asking for help just to say, and God knows, and we've got to talk to God constantly. I talk to God constantly during that time. Just, I need you to show me this or that, or, and he did, he showed me, he gave me so many lessons throughout each day, every day we were in the hospital. I saw him, he revealed himself in some way. And I was so grateful for that. And I, and I sought him also, you know, just right. we've got to remember that he wants us to call on him. And we just, we can't do it without that. I don't know how people do these things without the Lord. Me neither. Well, so tell me though, you, so you decide to write when God changed his mind and put this story on paper what is your greatest hope for the book? That people will be encouraged and that they will see through our story, their own stories mm-hmm. and just, and see God in a different way mm-hmm. and understand that he is always there, regardless of the fact that they may not feel him. Because I went through that before everything happened. I felt like I was in the desert. I couldn't feel God. But the thing is, it's not all about feeling We just, we've got to have the faith that he is there. And I did believe that, but I needed, I I had prayed probably for a good year. God, I need to see you. I need to feel you. And then this happened. And so, yeah. It's amazing. I know. We're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have asked for that. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I mean, I had been probably praying for a good year. I just couldn't feel him. And I needed, and I knew that was a dangerous prayer because I knew that it could mean something would happen and and it did, but I'm so grateful for it. But even while we were in the hospital, I started writing on Facebook on a Facebook page, just so I didn't have to tell the story over and over again to people each day. But we ended up having over 3000 followers in a pretty short period of time because I was just sharing not just what was happening each day, but how I was seeing God through it. And if it was a bad day, I would say, I hate this day. And it's really hard. 
And, but then I, God always gave me something to share that was showing people where he was in the struggle. So I took all of that and I put it in the book because even during that time, I was getting messages from people that it was encouraging them so much. I had people who were dealing with divorce who somehow found encouragement in our story. Wow. And that's only God, only God can do that. So, and I, people would say, you should write a book. You should write a book. But I, I thought, well, just because you tell me that doesn't mean I need to write a book. I mean, if God tells me, sure. But I realized later that was God telling me, but I didn't understand. (laughs) Yes. But I didn't understand truly the impact that our story, because I could only see our part. I could only see, you know, this trauma happened. We were in the hospital. We dealt with it. God was there, but I didn't really understand until probably recently that this story, there's more to the story because it's God's story. It's not us. And he's so amazing in how he weaves beautiful lessons through anything. He does not waste our pain. And so that's what I see. I still sometimes think, how is the story so interesting to people, you know? But it's because God is in it and they see that. I mean, just so many different people have sent me messages about what they're going through that has nothing to do with anything medical. Right. But But it gives them some faith and encouragement to take the next step. Yes. So that is why I wrote it because I felt that God was going to use whatever it is. I don't always, I don't see all of the things but I believe that he is going to use our story to encourage every kind of person, mm-hmm. not just moms, you know, not just people have kids, but in every situation it's for the greater good. <laughs> that's right. Well, and that's a good place to begin closing out, which is, you know, what would you say to the person who has prayed for God to change his mind? Mm-hmm. And that's not the answer that they received. How do you encourage talk to those people. Mm -hmm. I've had a hard time with that because Mm -hmm. I know that there are mothers who lost their sons and God didn't change his mind there. And I felt guilt actually over that. But I also realized that every God has a different story for every person. And it's still about trusting that he knows what's best for everyone, (laughs) for the whole story. It's like, you know, it's like a box of puzzle pieces. You know, you start putting the puzzle together and we don't get to see the picture on the outside of the box. It's like, he's just thrown, thrown us the pieces. We don't know what the picture is, but he does. So all we can do is the best we can do with what he's given us and trust that he's got the whole picture. And as hard as it may be, to know that it's not about us and then it may be about someone else or another situation down the line. We don't know. It's just about trusting that he does. And it's, none of us want our kid or a loved one to be the sacrificial lamb. That's what I tend to think, you know, for whoever it is we think, well, I don't care about those people. I want my kid. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the human part. That's right. But just going back to what, God did through his son 
and it wasn't simple. You know, he, he wasn't, he didn't just die. He was crucified. He was tortured. It was one of the worst deaths you could ever imagine. And so I think, and that's one of the things I thought of that night too, just my son didn't have to go like that. He didn't have to endure that. And if the death of a child or just a child being completely changed and broken is for the greater good of whoever it is that God knows out there, um, then it's worth it. And that's hard because we don't always get to see, you know, what, what the reason is he allowed it. And I don't think God does this to people either. I don't think God does any of these bad things. You know, when people say God doesn't give you any more than you can handle. Uh, not sure. That's such an empty platitude that I'm like, please don't say right. that. Right. It no. doesn't help. No, it doesn't. And it's not true Yeah, because yeah. that's what Jesus is for. We can't do this stuff on our own. There is no way. I could have done any of this on my own, but that's what he is for. And just asking God to show us, you know, I know he doesn't always, and that's so hard, but just trusting that he does know and that there's something we may never see down the road, but just knowing that it's there, he can use it. He has a plan for it. I think. And being patient with people, right? Because I think we want to rush along grief and we want to answer, mm. we want to answer people's questions and heal their pain, but it's really not our place. No, it's not. Right. And so sometimes it's just saying, I see that you are just hurting so Mm -hmm. badly right now. And I want to be your friend. Yeah. Whatever that looks like, because only God can handle all of that frustration and sadness. And, you know, it may be decades, before they get on the other side of seeing some of the hope behind it. Mm -hmm. Right. And just letting them grieve. Yeah. And I I know that there are probably people have said, you're still going through that. You're not over that. Well, (laughs) you never get over those Uh -uh. things. Yeah. You can get through them with the Lord's help, but it's just so hard. And just saying, I'm sorry that you're hurting. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that you're a bad Christian. (laughs) I think the church has really not done very well with that. Yeah. Right. Because we want to, we want to rush people along and it's like, oh no, I mean, feel that. And you know, just yeah, all the things that all the Christianese, you know, And, and, and somehow we only, we look at scripture and we're like, oh, but look, God healed this person in a, you know, an instant. But then I'm like, but then there are plenty of instances in the Bible where you turn the page and it's actually 40 years, right. Right. <laughs> you know, like there was right. 40 years of waiting in there. <laughs> yes. Yes. One, from one page to the next. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And we certainly don't, we never want to have to have that waiting time, but again, it's all about trust. Yeah, it is. I think sometimes when we let go, things happen faster. When we just, when we finally reach that place, we're like, okay, I trust you. Then often it's like, boom, Mm. things change. I think that's the whole thing with God changing his mind because I've had people say, well, God doesn't do that. God already knows what's going to happen. So what do you mean by that? I don't literally mean that he's changed his mind. Although it says that in the Bible, absolutely that he changed his mind. But what I think that is, is that he could go this way or this way Mm -hmm. because he's God 
and he can work all things for good. But I think what matters is our response to what he's put in front of us or what he has allowed to be put in front of us. And I think that was the case with Isaiah, just, okay, what is for the greater good? And God knows each of us. He knows every detail of our hearts. And I think, I would hope that if Isaiah would have died, that I would still glorify God, that I could still use it to glorify God. I don't know that it would be to this extent. I mean, just speaking Mm -hmm. truthfully, I don't, I don't know if I could share a story of my son dying and do it the same justice, you know, the story the same, but there are other women who can and have. Yeah. So God knows our individual hearts and what the best way is to give him the glory. Mm. Wow. Christina, I'm glad to hear your perspective and for you putting your story out there, because a lot of times we don't necessarily hear those stories. Cause I think sometimes we're afraid of hurting someone who didn't mm-hmm. get yeah. that same answer. I and so that, if yeah. somebody wants to really connect with you, where do you spend most of your time in this, <laughs> whatever social media world we live in? <laughs> yes. Facebook and Instagram, Facebook for the old people, as my kids would say, (laughs) Yeah, but that's probably Facebook and Instagram, Christina Custodio, author and speaker. And, and you can get the book anywhere, right? You can get the book anywhere online, still working to get it in the physical stores. It's some places across the country, but yes, anywhere online, even Walmart. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thanks so much, Christina, for coming, for sharing your story and for using it to glorify God. Thank you so much, Amber. Don't forget to join the Grace Enough community. You can press pause now and join by clicking the link at the top of today's show notes or by visiting graceenoughpodcast.com. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time!